A few announcements that I need to make. Uh, Right after the service, right after the second service, we have a church picnic. And we have hamburgers and hot dogs and so forth. And uh, we're going to be cooking out back. And so everyone's invited. You know, even if you didn't, you don't have to bring anything. Just come on and join us. Also, um, just looking to the future, you might have seen out on the uh, uh, bulletin board, we're going to be having a women's retreat in September and a men's retreat in October. And we're going to Kasawaska. Is that how you pronounce it? Oh, Kasawasko. Uh, retreat center. It's a beautiful retreat center. The Mark Courts and Vi and I went and, and uh, looked at it this week. Uh, it's just a great setup. So we encourage you to think about signing up. It's $96, and that includes everything. That's your overnight, that's three meals. You know, supper that evening when we arrive, and breakfast in the morning, and lunch before we leave. So we encourage everyone to try to come to it. Uh, it's going to be awesome. It's a chance for to get, you know, the women to get together and for the men to get together and just encourage one another in a deeper walk with Jesus. And also, um, we will be having a men's and women's breakfast coming up next month. Sign-up sheet for that so we know what to purchase. And last but not least, just for you to think about in the future, the pastor's conference in September, and I was hoping Israel would be in here because... Uh, um, his favorite pastor is going to be there, John Randall. So you've got to tell Israel, John Randall is going to be at it. And Joe Foch. So uh, it's going to be a great conference, and that's in September. So just be thinking about those things. Sign-up sheets are out there. I appreciate it. So if you'd open your Bibles along with me, we're in Leviticus chapter 7, and I'll be picking up in verse 11. Pastor Frank Jr. left off in verse 10. Leviticus chapter 7. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word because this world is full of lies. This world is full of deception, but your word is truth. Your word is light. And I pray, Father, that we would study your word with a heart that desires to learn and to grow and to be uh, just better witnesses for you in this world and to draw closer to you and to one another in fellowship. So I ask and pray, Heavenly Father, that you would come by your Holy Spirit and fill and use me to minister to these, your precious people. And I pray and ask all this in Jesus, Yeshua's name. Amen and amen. You know, it's interesting as we go through Leviticus, and Pastor Frank Jr. mentioned this in the first service, there's so many things that it seems like we're saying over and over and over and over again. And it's because God gives repetition to things that he really wants us to learn. But because so many things are repeated over and over again, what uh, Pastor Frank Jr. and I have been trying to do is to take out of our portions uh, things that really apply to you and I as far as our Christian walk is concerned. Because the Word of God is the light. Jesus is the light into the world. I don't know if you ever thought about this. I think about crazy things like this. But anyway, um, you can take a light into a dark room and dispel the darkness, Right? But you can't take darkness into a light room to, to dispel the light because the light itself will dispel the darkness as well. And Jesus is the light. In fact, if you want to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 8. The Gospel of John, chapter 8, and verse 12. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John eight twelve, And it says this, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, 
I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. How awesome is that? Not just have light, but the light of life. Because let me tell you something. Life can be pretty dark, right? But he's going to give us the light of life. Jesus Christ. In him, no matter what's going on around us, no matter what's going on in us, we have light in Jesus Christ if we follow him. Now, staying in, staying in the Gospel of John, go back to chapter 1 and verse 6. Chapter 1, verse 6. Chapter 1, verse 6, I'm going to read verses 6 through 9. There was a man sent from God, and of course it's talking about John the Baptist, whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. In other words, through Jesus, all through him might believe. He was not the light. So John is saying, hey, I'm not the light, but was sent to bear witness to the light. And you know, brothers and sisters, that's our responsibility. We are not the light. Do you understand that? We're not the light. We don't go around, ding, you know, look at me, I'm holy, and uh, you know, anyone who comes around me wants to know the truth. We're not the light. We're simply to bear witness to the light, who is Jesus Christ. That's our responsibility, to glorify him. And verse 9, that was talking about Jesus, that was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. Talking about Jesus coming into the world, and he offers this light to anyone. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I love that last worship song we just sang, you know, I got saved. I don't know how many times a day I thank God for my salvation. I got saved. And you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. You know why we are always thanking God for our salvation? We recognize how wretched we are. I mean, it'd be wonderful to say, well, you know, uh, back in 1973 when I came to the Lord Jesus Christ, I got saved and I've never sinned since. Well, you have the sin of lying, but anyway, the point is we, are, we have wretched hearts. But the fact is the light of the world, Jesus Christ, comes into our life in order to give us the light of truth. And the light of truth is his grace and mercy. We're going to be talking about that in a moment. Our relationship with God through Jesus Christ depends on his grace and mercy because that's all from him to us. The only thing we have to offer him is our confession of sin. And we'll be reading about that a little bit later as well. Now, it's interesting. There's a verse of scripture that I hear people quoting often, and it goes like this. It's better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. But that's actually not a verse of Scripture. It's actually a Chinese proverb that came from, we believe, Confucius. But the reason it got popularized is uh, Charles Schultz, who, uh, who wrote, the, wrote, wrote the Peanuts cartoon. Remember Peanuts? And Linus said that to Charlie Brown. It's better to light one candle than to curse the darkness, Charlie. And so it became popular. There's so many verses that people have that they think are verses, and they're not, you know, like, be in the world, but not of it. It's not a verse of Scripture. Now... There's an inference to both of these in Scripture, but that's not actually the verse of Scripture. So we have to know the word. Now, it's interesting, too, that everything we read about in Leviticus 
Even though it might seem repetitious and even boring, it's all about God's grace and mercy. So often people think, well, the law, that's God's, you know, harshness, and that's God's judgment, the law. And then we have the New Testament, and that's grace, and it's all about God's love and forgiveness of us. No, no, you have it wrong if you think that way. The entire Bible is God's grace and mercy. Understand that this whole sacrificial system that, that the, the Lord God Almighty was given, giving to the children of Israel, okay, was all his grace and mercy. Because here's what was going on. God was saying to them, okay, even though I have redeemed you, I've brought you out of Egypt, you're going to fall to sin. That's what the Lord is telling them. You're going to fall to sin, but I'm going to provide a means by which you can make a sacrifice by bringing your sacrifice to the priest, and he will intercede for you to make atonement for your sin. But even the law itself, like all the commandments of God, you have to understand that's all God's grace and mercy too. And the reason I say it's God's grace and mercy is because we are such a conceited, stiff-necked people. And we have such a tendency to think, I'm not that bad. They're pretty bad, but not me. I'm not that bad. Well, he gave us his written law so that we can study it and we could say, I'm bad. (laughs) I need God's grace. And so even the law itself is God's love allowing us to see our need. And after he allows us to see our need, then he also points out that we need to go to him for our sins to be atoned for. That's what the whole Old Covenant's about. But of course, in the New Covenant, we find that the fulfillment of all of that is in Jesus Christ. So we're in Leviticus chapter 7, and go to verse 11. And I'm reading verses 11 through 21. Leviticus 7. This is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings, which we shall offer to the Lord. If he offers it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer, with the sacrifice of thanksgiving, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, or cakes of blended flour mixed with oil. Besides the cakes... As his offering, he shall offer leavened bread with the sacrifice of thanksgiving of his peace offering. Notice peace offering. And from it, he shall offer one cake from each offering as a heave offering to the Lord. It shall belong to the priest. And I remember one time hearing, I don't know if it's a true story or not, but there was this uh, kind of wealthy guy, he was going to this church, and the church was really preaching, you know, you've got to give to the church, you've got to give to the church, and, and um, he really never really gave to the church. And finally the pastor went up to him and said, you know, haven't you ever heard in the Scripture that we're to offer our heave offering to the Lord? Just offer it all up to him. And the guy said to the pastor, well, you know, he said, I do that. He said, every uh, you know, Saturday night before I come to church, I take a bunch of my money and I throw it up in the air as a heave offering. And what God keeps is his and what comes back down is mine. <laughs> That's just a story. <laughs> but anyway, whenever I, uh, I heard that joke years and years ago, whenever I read this portion of scripture, it makes, makes me think of it. Um, it belongs to the priest. Uh, who sprinkles the blood of the peace offering. 
The flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering for thanksgiving shall be eaten the same day it is offered. He shall not leave any of it until morning. But if the sacrifice of his offering is a vow or a voluntary offering, it shall be eaten the same day that he offers his sacrifice. But on the next day, the remainder of it also also may be eaten. The remainder of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day must be burned with fire. And if any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering is eaten at all on the third day, it shall not be accepted, nor shall it be imputed to him. In other words, imputed means it's not something that we innately have of our own. It's something given to us. His righteousness, his holiness... His salvation is imputed to us. It's given to us from God. And it shall be an abomination to him who offers it. And the person who eats of it shall, be, shall bear guilt. The flesh that touches any unclean thing shall not be eaten. It shall be burned with fire. And as for the clean flesh, all who are clean may eat of it. But the person who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering that belongs to the Lord while he is unclean, that person shall be cut off from his people. Moreover, the person who touches any unclean thing, such as human uncleanness, an unclean animal, or any abominable unclean thing, and who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering that belongs to the Lord, that person shall be cut off from the people. Wow. Now, we have to understand it is only when sin is atoned for that we can experience peace. We have all experienced the guilt of sin. We've all experienced the uh, uh, just uneasiness that we have in our heart when we know that there are areas of our life that just aren't right with the Lord. But when we come to that place that we just offer to God, God, forgive me, a sinner. Lord, help me. Lord, I, I desire to overcome this area. And the Lord, in his grace and mercy, reaches down and gives us encouragement and helps us to overcome those areas that are pulling us down. All of a sudden, the peace of God floods in our heart. And it should end up coming out on our lips. In Ephesians, if you want to turn with me to that, chapter 2. You know, it's interesting, too, that the peace offering and the thanksgiving offering are often mentioned together because when we have peace with God because of his grace and mercy, it makes us very thankful. It should make us very thankful. Thank you, Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2, go to verse 14, 2.14. Now notice, for he, capital H, himself, capital H, talking about the Lord, is our peace who has made both one and who has broken down the middle wall of separation. Because in the Old Covenant, remember when we talked about the tabernacle and you had a curtain between the, the, the court and the holy place and the curtain between the holy place and the holy of holies, which was the dwelling of God. That curtain's all been broken down. When Jesus died on the cross, the curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies was torn from top to bottom. Now man has access to God any time. What a blessing it is. And um, so anyway, that's the middle wall uh, that's been broken down. 
having abolished in his flesh the enmity, the separation, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two. The old man, and now in Jesus Christ, we're a new man, we're a new creation, thus making peace. And that he might um, reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came, capital H, talking about Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who are near. His message is for everyone. His teaching of forgiveness is for everyone. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. You know, so often people think fame and fortune and, and, you know, is going to give them all kinds of, you know, that's what they're looking for. I want fame and fortune. That's really not what people are looking for. You know what people are really looking for? Peace. They want to have peace in their heart. And, and I love uh, in Proverbs, you have to remember that Solomon wrote most of the Proverbs, and he was the wealthiest man that ever lived. He had everything. There's nothing... And he tells us there is nothing that his flesh desired that he denied himself. He had everything. But listen to what he says in Proverbs 17.1. Better a dry morsel with quietness than a house full of feasting with strife. That's what people want. They want peace. They want peace with God and peace with one another. Now understand this. If you don't have peace with God, you never have peace with others. You have to have peace with God first, and then he enables you to have peace with others. You know, you've heard me say that I don't like very many um, bumper stickers that people wear or put on their cars. Uh, maybe they wear them too, you know. But anyway, bumper stickers people put on their cars. I don't like a lot of them because they're so corny, you know. God is my co-pilot, and I always say, sorry for you. God's my pilot. But anyway... Um, you know, there's a few that I like. Like, for instance, there was one that I, I thought was so, I, I loved it, and it said, don't get caught dead without Jesus. Get it? If you don't have Jesus. But another one that I love, and it's referring to what we're talking about here, and it says, K-N-O-W God and K-N-O-W Peace. N-O God and N-O Peace. In other words, it sounds, it's really cool. It says, no God, no peace. No God, no peace. In other words, if you don't know God, you have no peace. He is our peace. Now, peace, of course, makes us so thankful for all that the Lord has done. And if you go to Jeremiah, well, uh, just uh, write it down if you want to. I'll read these to you. Jeremiah thirty-three eleven. Praise the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his mercy endures forever. If there's ever a reason to praise him, his mercy endures forever. Hebrews 13, 15. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to him. Well, how could praise be a thanksgiving? Well, there are times that you don't feel like praising. There are times that things aren't going exactly the way you'd like them to go. You praise God anyway, because you're going to heaven. You're saved. And if you die, you're going to be with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. So we have a lot to praise God for. And sometimes it is a sacrifice because we don't feel like it. And then in Psalm 
100 in verses 4 and 5, you, we sing this, so you know this portion. Uh, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. So you might be thinking, what do I have to praise about, praise God about? Everything. Everything. Do you understand that from the very beginning, God was providing a way of salvation? God created man in his image. He didn't create the universe in his image. Study the scriptures. He didn't create animals in his image. Study the scriptures. He created man in his image. Man was his special creation. God created man that he might have fellowship with him. Remember, he would walk literally. How, how that was, I don't know, but he literally walked with man, and man had fellowship, Adam and Eve, with him in the cool of the day. So God's desire has always been to have fellowship with us. And so when man fell to sin... Adam and Eve, our first parents, when they fell to sin, a harsh God, a righteous God, a judgmental God could have just said, that's it, Zip! there's no more man. God doesn't need man. God needs us in order to have fellowship. God doesn't need anything or anyone. The only reason we exist is because God is love. And he created us it tells us, out of his love. Therefore, his desire is for you and I to have communication and communion with him. So when man sinned, what's the first thing God did? Because remember, they were naked. They sinned and they realized they were naked. The first thing God did was he slaughtered sheep and he used their skins to cover Adam and Eve, to cover their, their shamefulness, their sin. You know, it's a metaphorical understanding there. And then he cast them out of the garden and God has always provided, from the very creation of man, God has always provided a way of reconciliation to himself. That is a God of love. That is a God that is worthy of all praise, glory, honor, and adoration. That is my God. That is your God. Now, if we're not content, then we have to understand will never have the peace of God. And he, understand, we don't have to talk God into lavishing his peace upon us. He desires to lavish his peace upon us. So if we don't have his peace, it's not because he is unwilling to lavish his peace upon us, we're unwilling to receive it. You know, one of the things that we deal with as human beings, and I'm not pointing fingers at anyone, I deal with this as much as anybody, maybe more. But so often, we base peace on our circumstances. Things are going really well at work. Things are going really well in my relationships. Things are going really well, and, 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 and everything's going well, so I have peace. Have a few problems. Things aren't going well at work. Things aren't going well in my relationship. I got some problems there. Uh, now I don't have peace. Wrong. You might not have a lot of contentment with all those things that are going on, but you have peace with God because you have to realize that God's relationship with mankind is individual. His relationship isn't based on your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your children, your relationship with your friends, your relationship with your boss. It's you and God. It's you and He. And so if we accept 
His peace. Even though our circumstances might make us uneasy, might not be comfortable, we have peace with God. He alone can give us peace. You know, uh, um, it's interesting here, too, because uh, um, find it interesting, I find it interesting, there are two types of cakes or two types of bread that were offered to the Lord. One was leaven, and one was, I mean, one was unleavened, and one was leaven. Isn't that interesting? Because what does leaven always represent in Scripture? Sin. So we're to offer the unleavened bread, but also you can offer leavened bread. Well, what is the meaning of it? Well, we have to understand there's one who came to this earth, and his name was Jesus Christ, and he lived a life without sin. There was no leaven in him. And he offered himself up as a sacrifice that our sin might be forgiven, like the sacrifice of the unleavened bread. But then we, sinners, offer our leavened bread as a sacrifice to God, accepting his unleavened sacrifice for us. Do you follow the point I'm making? Yeah, we're sinners. Yeah, we sin probably every day, you know. I mean, most often the the first time we sin is when we wake up. You know, it might even be in your head. But we we, we sin. But the reality is that God already paid the price. So we take our leavened lives and we say, Jesus, forgive me a sinner. And he does. You know, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That's just reasonable. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God. Wow. If we can only do that, just accept the perfect will of God. But so often... Our circumstances and our own hearts condemn us and, and, and attempt to take away all of our peace and joy because our focus is off the Lord. You know, I haven't shared this with you guys maybe in a long time or ever. I don't know. But when our, our kids were small, we used, to, we used to say, let's do head-to-head one-eye. And it was when we really wanted to explain something to them. And what head-to-head one eye was, and so you parents, or if you have a spouse, you might not want to do this with a stranger, but if, you, if you're a parent or a spouse, what you do is you put your foreheads together. So put your forehead, not now, but you put your forehead together with your spouse or one of your kids, and you look at, up at one another, you only see one eye. You only see one eye. The point is you're, you're so close, you're close together. It's like, just pay attention to me. That's what you're saying to your child when you do head-to-head one eye. Well, God wants to do head-to-head one-eye with us all the time. Because, you know, here we are. That's me, most days. And the Lord says, wait, 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 wait. I've already brought you all the peace that you need. I've already redeemed your soul by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Come on, do head-to-head one-eye with me. Understand that your relationship with me is the most important relationship you have in this world. The most awesome possession that you have is me, not any of the trinkets of this life, because trinkets just fade and pass away. You know, remember what it tells us in First John. You know, I, 
you guys all know First John uh, chapter 1, verse 9 is my life verse, you know, if we confess our sin. But a lot of people don't take time to notice that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness is, is sandwiched between two verses that are so relevant to us. So if you want to turn with me to 1 John chapter 1, if you go to Revelation and turn left, you, you'll find it easier. 1 John chapter 1, we're going to start with verse 8. And understand what 1 John 1 8 is telling us. And also we'll find verse 10 is saying the same thing. It's so important for us to realize this. And it says in 1 John 1 8, If we say that we have no sin, listen, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. In other words, if we say I don't have any sin, it's telling us we're liars. Verse 9. And this is my verse. This is my verse. But if, conditional conjunction, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all, not some, all unrighteousness. Verse 10, if we say, well, I haven't sinned, then we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So the person says, well, I haven't really sinned. I'm a really pretty good person. I don't know if I've done anything really wrong. Well, the truth is not in you. Because as we study the Word of God, if there's one thing it does, it's like a mirror. And, you know, just to make a point, it's a little illustration. Uh, we have in our bathroom one of those magnifying mirrors. You guys know what I mean? I mean, I don't do makeup, but sometimes I, you know, have to look to see. But we have one of those magnifying mirrors, and it magnifies your face something like eight zillion times or something like that. You know, you look in the mirror, and all you see is your nose, one of those. But we have one of those magnifying mirrors, and every once in a while I'll look at it because I'm trying to check something on my lip or whatever, and I look at it, and it's like, <laughs> because all of a sudden you see yourself as you are, 74 years old. I still feel 16, but look at all that stuff in the mirror. It's not me. It's not. Well, the reality is, spiritually, we need to look into the magnifying mirror and see ourselves as we are and just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that even though I see who I am and I know who I am, you died on the cross that my sin might be forgiven. What an awesome thing. You know, um, we were talking earlier today uh, some of us that are over 30, but uh, anyway, 40, 50, 60. Anyway, um, some of us that are in those little bit older years, we're talking about how it's a whole process of getting out of bed in the morning. You guys know what I mean. I mean, you, you wake up and you sit up and you, and you stand up and you're like, <laughs> you know, the whole process. And, you know, then after you get yourself stretched out, you're you're okay. But you know, the hair turns you know, white and get bald and all that kind of stuff. But you know what I was thinking today about that? The aging process is really a testimony of the Lord. He created man to live forever. Death was not his plan. And so the aging process allows us to recognize we're dying. We're coming to a place where one day we'll be with the Lord. And then it encourages us in what God has done for us. Though your sin be as scarlet, he's washed you as white as snow. Wow. And aren't you glad that that wasn't just a one-time confession and cleansing of sin when you got saved? 
but it's continuous cleansing of sin. That's why I love that verse in, in 1 John 1, 9. Because if we strive or attempt to live a godly, lives on our, godly lives on our own, thinking we don't need the Holy Spirit, it's all the flesh. And it means nothing. It's all by the Spirit. Think about this. A little crazy analogy. I was going to say like our candles here, but I need to get new... Uh, these are actually fake. It's real wax, but it's a fake candle, see? I need new batteries. They're not lit, and I was afraid of being chastised by Nick that my candles weren't lit this morning. Oh, look! <laughs> Came on, let there be light. Yeah. But anyway, um, I used to have an oil lamp when Vi and I first got married, and actually when we were first saved and in the ministry. It's a silly thing. A little bedside, it was an antique, like the little bedside oil lamps that they had years and years ago. And, uh, you know, you turn the wick up and it burns a little brighter. You know what I'm talking about. And I used to have it on the side of my, my bed to read by. But here's the inter- interesting thing. If you take an oil lamp and there's no oil in it and you just light the wick, you'll have light for a short period of time until the wick burns out. Right? then you just have nothing. But if you take that same lamp and you fill it with oil and you let that wick go down into the oil where it absorbs all the oil up and then you light that wick, it'll burn and burn and burn because you're not burning the wick, you're burning the oil. And the wick is our life and the oil is the Holy Spirit. And if you want to live your life in your own strength, your own wick, You're just going to burn up and burn out. But if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then you're able to light that lamp and shine for Jesus forever and ever. Now, notice we're told that if anyone eats the sacrifice, you know, after the third day or after it's unclean, there's things that are in here that have definite meaning to us if we take time to look at it. One of the things that it's telling us here is, number one, God doesn't, except second-hand or old sacrifices. Well, I was holy yesterday. I was holy last week. I don't, now, God wants continuous sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving and confession to him. And we also have to understand that a sinful heart always needs to be refreshed by the Holy Spirit. Always. And so we as believers, we must, we need to come to a place Remember that old song, Forget About Yourself and Magnify the Lord and Worship Him? That's an old worship song. We need to come to a place where we forget about ourselves, worship God and magnify His name, worship Him and serve Him. The most important thing that you do as a believer is serve God. Well, how do we serve God? You just love Him and you love people. You know, I, I'd love to be able to give you a, a little booklet. If you follow these 100, you know, things, you're going to be able to serve God with all your heart. That kind of stuff is, I don't mean to offend anyone, but it's stupid. How do we serve God? You love Him. You study His Word. You spend time in prayer. And you just say, Jesus, use me today. And maybe the, the best way you're able to serve God tomorrow is at work, just by being a good employee and having a cheerful attitude and loving Jesus and allowing any opportunity that God brings your way to use it to share Christ. That's serving Jesus. You know, it's not a matter of this, this, and this. Oh, you've got to do this and this and that. You know, and, and that's why 
I think it's important when we think about serving the Lord, it's not a matter of us talking about, well, I did this, well, I did that, I, you know, I did this, I did that. You know. Well, why are we sharing those specific things? I mean, sometimes it might be encouraging to share, you know, the way the Lord has used you with other people. But in reality, when the Lord is using us, it's between us and the Lord. You know what I'm saying? We don't have to tell everybody every single thing we do for God. You know, we need to be willing to have that secret place with the Lord where we just love Him, praise Him, worship Him. And those things that we do that are good, that He just... You know what I'm saying? Like if I have an awesome prayer time with the Lord and I just have that kind of communion and then I go up to my wife or to a friend or to my children and I say, I'll tell you what, I just had an awesome awesome worship time with the Lord. Well, what am I doing? If I had an awesome worship time with the Lord, I don't have to tell anyone. That's between the Lord and I. That's between us. And so the Lord God of all creation has done everything to redeem us back to himself. And that's why he gave us communion. It's so interesting, it should be, in any way interesting to all of us, that on the night before Jesus gave... Now, you have to understand, the Jewish day begins at sunset, okay, and ends at sunset. So when Jesus celebrated the Last Supper with his disciples, and he was taken and, and tried and, and laid on the cross, it was all that one day. So here you have Jesus just before he is going to offer his body as a sacrifice for our sin. And what does he do with his disciples? He celebrates what we call the Last Supper. You know why he did that? Because we're human and we're frail and and we need things to help us remember. Have you ever had one of those things where you tie a string on your finger to remember something and then you forget what the string's all about? But you know what I'm talking about. We we, we like to have things... I, I, I have... I've just learned how to use a um, um, calendar in my phone that gives me alert for things I have to remember. The only thing is I have to figure out how to do AM and PM because, you know, sometimes I'll get at 2 o'clock in the morning and say, do this. Well, it's 2 in the morning. But anyway, um, the, the Lord gives us reminders. He gives us these kinds of reminders because He loves us and He wants us to remember all He's done for Him. And that's why we have... Uh, you know, on a communion table, in remembrance of me. Jesus said, do this. As often as you eat of this bread and drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Remembrance of what? He paid the full price for sin. Every time we take communion, we should be saying to ourselves in our heart, I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven, all my sins are taken away. Hallelujah. We remember what he's done for us. And he said he wouldn't eat it share in this table again until he shares it with us in his Father's kingdom in heaven. And so when we share communion, we should also be saying to ourselves, he's coming back. He's coming back. Jesus is going to take me to be with him. Whether I'm raptured, whether I die, but there's going to be one day that we're all caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and we shall be with him forevermore. And we're going to have a communion feast in heaven and Jesus is going to be the one officiating that communion. Well, how can he officiate that communion? There's going to be millions of people. He's Jesus. He's omnipresent. He has all the attributes of God because he is God. So, you know, 
we waste time. Well, how can, let's see, if Jesus was giving communion to us and there's, you know, uh, 180 billion people that are saved, and you're being silly. There's going to be a communion table in heaven. Scripture tells us that. It's going to be awesome. Jesus is going to officiate. It's not going to be Frank or I. It's going to be Jesus. But until that time comes, he's given this, this, us this sacrifice. And I love it because he tells us in Scripture, when he was sharing the Last Supper with the disciples, he took bread. And it would have been unleavened bread. It was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And uh, the Jews had to go through their house with a feather and remove all the leaven from their house. But he took a piece of the unleavened bread like this, and he broke it. He said, this symbolizes the fact my body is going to be broken for you. And then he took the cup, and he said, this represents my blood. It's going to be shed for you. I'm giving my body and my blood, I'm giving my life for you for no other reason than I love you. Wow. How awesome is communion. No wonder he said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Because it's a good thing to remember. Father, thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for your word. And thank you so much for this sacrament we call communion, Lord. And I pray that you would bless this sacrament to our heart and spirit and soul. That we would remember that you alone have brought salvation to mankind. And that we're thankful, so very thankful. And so prepare our hearts, Lord. Give us a spirit of confession and repentance and just allow us to drink and to eat this unleavened bread and this, and this fruit of the vine to our soul and spirit's nourishment, I pray in Jesus, Yeshua's name, amen and amen. Okay, brothers, what a God we serve. A loving, merciful, kind God we serve. And therefore, take and eat and drink as remembrance of his sacrifice and for the forgiveness of your sins. God died on the cross. Be thankful and remember, I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for this communion that you've given us to share on a regular basis that we might remember all that you've done for us. And I pray that you would bless this communion to our heart and spirit's understanding, that we might have peace, peace, Lord, that comes from you alone, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, my friends. Thank you for joining us.